podcast with the Metro. Joined by, after a week off last week, I'm joined here today by the usual gang of uh, Daniel and Andrew. And before we start, um, as you all know, over the past couple of weeks, uh, a lot of stuff's been happening, and we've believed that a lot of this has related to a lot of what we've talked about in previous episodes as well, particularly around our sport that we like to cover. As mentioned before, uh, racism and uh, inequality and promoting uh, diversity was a had, was a topic of ours when we talked about uh, Akim Alou's uh, Players' Tribune article, which came out. And a couple days ago, uh, several players had released a... Uh, formed a Hockey Diversity Alliance uh, featuring Akim Alou, Evander Kane, Trevor Daly, Matt Dumba, Wayne Simmons, Chris Stewart, and Joel Ward. I know we touched upon it uh, a while back with the Alou article. Um, it's just a perfect example of what I was pretty much talking about, how it's it still boggles my mind that things like this still have to happen today. And with the Keandre Miller situation, again, another thing that we were talking about um, if you're still denying that it doesn't exist, that racism doesn't exist, wake the fuck up. That's all I can really say. Um, just because it doesn't happen to you or just because you haven't experienced it or you don't know anybody who hasn't experienced it doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. It's like saying that I'm not hungry, world hunger doesn't exist. It's, it's the same concept. I don't understand how it's still going on and... Again, I just don't really have many words other than just seriously just show support. You don't have to post something on social media to show support. You don't. You really, really don't. Go out and talk to people. Go out and make your voice heard. If it happens to be on social media, do it on social media. But don't just do one post just to do a post and then wipe your hands clean. I'm a good person because that's not the way that it is. Before I start rambling on, Andy, just take. Go ahead. No, I got you. This one thing that I've seen from this, like, I mean, I try and look at things from the, um, you know, the uh, silver lining sort of thing, like glass half full sort of uh, optimistic outlook. And it's shown that a lot of people have come together against, against like racism and against bigotry and hatred. It's something that we're going to see a lot of, like, Obviously, there's the um, old saying that the vocal minority will become more and more vocal as they become more and more minor. So it's going to be a lot more prevalent that people are being more and more racist because of the fact that it's dying out. And that's really the only way that I can really take away from it, the fact that society's changing and it's for the better. It's got to be for the better because look how far we've come. We got to keep basically the same energy that we have of rejecting racism of accepting each other of loving one another because at the end of the day love reigns superior over hate you can't fight hate with hate you gotta fight hate with love and not just fight it just drown it out with love and and it's also part of why it's uh, it's been very it's been encouraging to see people take these stands on uh, diversity and inclusion which admittedly i myself wasn't so sure what they would necessarily or how do i don't know how to say this basically what would be the big benefit from it and over this past couple of weeks i've told myself well these these implement implementations of, in, of such inclusion programs can help eliminate implicit biases 
and which would lead to such bad behaviors against other people based on who based on who they are and it goes to show you that sometimes sometimes if you listen the right amount uh, maybe it would make a difference for the better you hit the nail on the head there with the word listen i think everybody's just going out to speak out and to me it's kind of pathetic that people are ignoring the fact that they're speaking and they think they have to be a voice for a minority what makes you think that you have to be a voice for somebody else why do you feel like you have to speak and that your opinion is exactly how they feel that's the problem that i'm having because the people think that they're making a change are just doing something posting on social media to show you have moral standards and then going back to chasing clout the next week are you posting because you actually care that you want to make a difference or are you posting because you feel that it's morally going to make you have some standards and people are going to like it and people are going to give you attention because if you are posting to get clicks likes comments or whatever other bullshit that you normally chase on a day-to-day basis you are capitalizing on someone else's pain you are capitalizing on someone else's oppression for your own gain and if that doesn't feed towards more oppression then i don't know what it does so for me i want to see actual change and i don't want to see people just bullshitting anymore because it exists it's clear it exists and the people that think that they're making a change i fear are doing it for the wrong reasons and i just think it needs to be done properly this isn't a selfish situation being vain is only going to hurt the actual movement this is a legitimate movement there's no need to go out and start fights for no reason at a peaceful protest if you're white and you're starting a fight at a peaceful protest go fuck off it's not right i i don't really get it and one more thing a little bit unrelated everybody pulls out the oh i have black friends oh i have this oh i have that if you really have black friends go out there and talk to them when was the last time you reached out to them have you reached out since this whole thing started saying hey i don't understand what it's like to be in your shoes but as a friend i'm here for you if you need anything contact me do you need somebody to talk to do you and your family need some something just to vent off do you need a shoulder to cry on has anybody gone out and done that that's my challenge to you if you pull out the i have black friends card actually reach out because it goes a long way that's how you start to learn that's how you start these conversations and if you are really friendly with some of these people and you genuinely care about them you'll have those tough conversations because that's how you learn and that's how you grow for me being hispanic i don't know what it's like to be in a black person's shoes i might be a minority but it doesn't mean that i know what it's like to be in their shoes i need to learn other minorities need to learn that's again all i really got and another point to touch on one way to make a difference is you can f- find a few communities of which you can donate to or you know it's uh, one of the easiest things you can do is sign petitions as well uh, actually as a as a matter of fact uh, tom wilson in his statement had announced that he was uh, going to make a donation to the east of the river mutual aid fund as well to fort dupont's cannons hockey program so 
there's a uh, great example of a way of expressing his uh, sorrows on social media while also uh, taking action to help improve as well. Yeah, I completely agree. It's something that nowadays it's great to see all the um, all the action that's actually taken place because of the fact that, I mean, in years past, we've seen people that have just used this for cloud. And basically this, even this year, we've seen the people that are cloud chasing that are just the lowest of the low to just use something like this and be like, oh, how do I make myself get in the um getting the newsreel over this like it's it's really just complete scummy to do something like that but it's really been great to see the people that actually have taken initiative and really it shows what that the fact that we as a society can say, take something like this and basically make like take lemons and make lemonade so to speak off the fact that we are coming together in spite of bad situations, we can all work together to create good outcomes, basically. And I think another thing that's um, sort of might have caused some division in other areas is a lot of, there are a lot of different opinions on how to fix this, these, these things. I think one important thing to remember is that people will have different opinions on how to fix things, but we all have one common goal, and that is to fix it. So we just we felt we wanted to uh, we wanted to express our words on that matter. Well, over the past two weeks uh, while we were gone, there is a uh, very special milestone achieved. I don't know if anybody could hear that, but we have officially gone sixty days. Um, I did have a drink. That's like the 61st night. I was thinking about going to the end of May, but, you know, I had to be done. And thank you for the support. Andy, you can fuck off. Ian, I really appreciate it. <laughs> Eric, I could always count on you since day one. You know, it's it feels good, you know. I, I don't really know uh, what else to say other than I thought it would just kind of be like a, a little dig saying like, hi, I can do it, but. It's more of a, you know, I, I lost a decent chunk of weight. It's amazing what happens when you stop drinking every other night. But, um, and who knows, maybe even your neighbor's bushes are still alive if you stop drinking every weekend. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a bit ambitious. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Cold. Gotta crack one open and we'll see how this podcast goes. It's probably going to be a shit show from here on out, but let's do it. Well, uh, let's, let's see if you uh, hold yourself in there. When we last left off, we had finished previewing the uh, Eastern Conference matchups and the uh, round-robin games, and now we decided we would shift our attention to the West, despite the fact we are a Metro Division podcast. But why would we pass up the opportunity to cover more hockey when all we can just do is look forward ahead? So, uh, let's see. Uh, yeah. Yeah, first four teams in the West, the Blues, the Avalanche, the Knights, and the Stars. And then the round-robin matchup features the Oilers versus the Blackhawks, the Predators versus the Coyotes, Canucks versus the Wild, and the Flames versus the Jets. Starting up top, we've got St. Louis Blues, who seem to have, as we've discussed before, just been rolling along, not experiencing much of a cup hangover, and get plenty of uh, contributions where needed. They have 11 10-goal scorers, 
550 point getters with David Ron leading the way in goals and then Ryan O'Reilly leading the way in points, which would not come as too much of a surprise to y'all. Yeah, for this um, team, honestly, I'm not sure if they're going to be better because of the fact they had a break or worse because they look like they were doing perfectly fine going into yet another playoff run. They look like if any team in the past couple of years was going to be able to go back-to-back, it might have been them because of the fact that, yeah, they did not slow the gas pedal at all. Yeah, they had a couple of key injuries. Obviously, the uh, Jay Bowman-Sternson really hurt them. But now they're getting Tarasenko back. Um, they've been uh, able to run with, I think, uh, Bozak was hurt a little bit towards the end, but um, they should be able to roll with him again. And, yeah, they did not show any signs of stoppage. So it'd be really interesting to see when they come back how they're going to run moving forward. I mean, the way that this team looks right now, you could tell that they're still a well-oiled machine. And, again, a break is going to change things. You don't know exactly how that will affect the team. But, again, they have so many guys who are on the right side of 30 right now. And the way that they're playing, and they they got a hot goalie. I mean, (laughs) what else can you really say to that and the way that this team is and is it are all rounds best of seven now officially as of last week um the round robin is best of five and then the rest afterwards is seven seven, right still need those elusive 16 wins yeah so i mean if any team as of right now is going to probably benefit from a tired team coming out of a round robin probably going to be the blues I don't know. Maybe Vegas might benefit later, but we can talk about them when we hit them. Other than that, I think I really think that this team has what it takes to make another deep run. Maybe not win the cup again, but I would be shocked to not see them playing in the Western Conference Final. And to touch up on that, when you look at who they'll be playing against once, you've got Col- you've got Colorado with uh, their pretty much high power offense start. Stars, they sh- they you'd imagine they'd be able to outscore them quite a bit. They would have to get through their D a lot, and with Vegas, they uh, would have to get through their uh, dynamic tandem as as well. But as of now, yeah, I would pick them as my favorite to keep the number one spot. So we uh, discussed about the aforementioned Colorado Avalanche, and with this team, there's. There have been plenty of uh, young studs uh, stepping up in the way from guys like Kale McCarr and Andre Burkowski, Frank Good secondary scoring, and Nathan McKinnon uh, leading the way with his uh, powers and with and their uh, goaltending tandem uh, providing some uh, quality uh, contributions as well. Yeah, that's another team that again they had injuries going into the uh, into the break, and now they should have them. I think uh, McKinnon and uh, Rontanen were out for a while. Um, I think they should be back, and Grubauer was still hurting for a little bit. So we should see a lot of their better players start to return. And even in the meantime, they've been able to have like some of their better, their um, even their older players, like Landeskog, who's only 27 years old. He was shouldering a lot of the responsibility, and he showed why he's a captain. He was able to pick up the slack. You had. I think their best players probably only played like 50-something to 60 games each. So it was, yeah, they were missing some key games, some games out of their key players, but they were able to really pull through, and they have the youth and depth to last them a long time. Like, 
it would surprise me to not see them um, be a relevant team for the next decade. I don't get this team. Again, I've said it multiple times. This team was one of the worst hockey teams I've ever seen prior to the 27. Was it 2016 when they had that awful year? And then they dropped 2016, 2017. Yeah, yeah. That, that team was probably one of, one of the worst teams I've seen. And just to see them turn it around that quickly, again, just props to that entire front office, props to that entire coaching staff, and props to these players from one, not only sticking like around and keeping a positive locker room presence and just uh, really keeping the team as a cohesive unit. And now look at that, how that's paid off. It's just this team, again, this is probably the only team that I could say their downfall is going to be their back end, if that. Can you really point out a flaw in their top six? Can you point out something that they're missing depth-wise for scoring? Can you point out anybody who might not be able to contribute offensively? I mean, defensively, they might be slightly liable, if that. But what what can you really say? They have a good goaltending tandem. Um, they're splitting games evenly. They're all going to be fresh. They trust each other. It's. I mean, what else can you say? I've said a million times that they're a fun team to watch. So I'll say once again. They're a pretty damn fun team to watch. <laughs> the scary thing to- about them, we just found out that um, I think in a recent interview, McKinnon said he was trying to get uh, Panarin to go out there. Now imagine this team with Panarin on top of that. That would have just been completely unfair. Oh, absolutely. That would have been unfair. Abs- I, yeah, just, yeah, just no, yeah. Well, uh, it's not, well, it's not too late for you guys to uh, make that trade. So, well, let's not get carried away here. That's <laughs> okay, Mister. Okay, Mister. Stalfriak. Sometimes he doesn't get it, you know. Moving down our list, uh, we now uh, speak on our ways of the Vegas Golden Knights, who coming into who have had a relatively up and down season during this time. After all, they uh, fired their fired coach Gallant made the year and replaced him with uh, Peter DeBoer, which was a rather questioning move to from a lot of hockey fans but their uh, top players continue to uh lead their lead the way with uh, a couple 50 plus point getters uh their uh goaltending uh, tandem is uh, pretty dynamic with uh, Marc-Andre Fleury and uh Robin Leonard and uh, this team tends is not exactly a uh, sort of completely eye-opening in terms of from watching as a fan what a fan would watch but one that could necessarily quietly make their way out of it yeah this team um it basically looks like a couple of years ago where they were really um they had the depth like crazy and they had like high scoring players this year they got i mean a couple of years ago march or so and uh carson or carlson were their best player um were their best skaters riley smith has shown that why he had like so much going for him a couple of years ago. He like refound the scoring touch. Pacioretty has been completely shouldering the weight, getting 30, 30 plus goals. And I mean, Mark Stone showed why they traded for him. He's a point per game player. They've been able to have some of their other key names be able to step up for them. And after the trade, like I said before, and I'll say it again, they're the best goaltending tandem there in uh, all of hockey with Flurry and uh, Robin Lehner. Like that duo is just. They're just on fire. I mean, you're right about that, with, especially with the Pacioretty thing. I mean, who would have expected 
the University of Michigan product to leave a toxic city in Montreal and all of a sudden go out to Vegas and find a scoring touch. Hmm. Even you're impressed. I am very impressed. I am impressed. I think it's more of the college hockey experience rather than the Michigan experience, but who am I to say? That's you. You're entitled to uh, your wrong opinion. Much like you said earlier with the uh, goaltending tandem, yeah, one guy has a bad day and uh, the other can just swoop in and really uh, pick up all that mess as needed. When you look at their opponents they're facing in the uh, in those uh, early games before jumping into the playoffs, they can they can totally play with any of those teams, with uh, St. Louis, Colorado, and particularly Dallas as well. And, I mean, one thing that I would want to add on to that real quick, watch their back end. Because, again, you need you could have a good goalie tandem, but the goalies can only carry you so far. Look at what happened to Henrik Lundqvist. Look what's happened to many other teams out there. Vegas, as of right now, um, and if I'm reading this properly, out of all the number one seeds, have given up the most goals against on the year. I could be missing somebody. I'm just double-checking, making sure that I'm not. Yeah, it appears that Vegas is the team that's given up the most. Yep, okay. It's something that, I just, again, just got to check your stats, got to check your numbers. You never know what's going to happen if this is going to be the case. You can have a high-scoring offense, or you can have a 500 offense. That doesn't matter. I mean, Perfect example, I know a lot of people may not know this reference, but look at Penn State in the Big Ten. Penn State came number one in the Big Ten, and that team's philosophy is no shot is a bad shot. Literally, no shot is a bad shot. So one thing to take into account is that is Vegas going to follow suit with that and don't care how many goals that they'll give up and just try to do a crapshoot and just try to find a way to outscore your opponent? basically pull a Kansas City Chiefs, or are they going to find a way to lock that down and just decimate teams like we kind of saw them do in their first cup run? Well, not really their only cup run, but the cup run from their first season. So that's just something to kind of throw out there. I mean, they gave up the exact same amount of goals this year as the LA Kings did. They both gave up 209 goals. The only difference is LA couldn't score. Take with that what you will. Sort of reminds me a lot about a team we're about to uh, touch up on later in this episode. So later into this uh, round-robin affair, we move down to the fourth seed in the Dallas Stars, a team that does not tend to score as much as the uh, top three aforementioned teams that we have mentioned, but their uh, defense provides some uh, quality minutes and always seems to do a lot of things very quietly, as I might have mentioned before with Vegas. That's actually something that's kind of the opposite of what we just talked about. Dallas <laughs> right now has given up the second least amount of goals right behind Boston. But their shot differential right now is 64 shots against more on the season. Their save percentage as a team is 920, which is second in the NHL behind only the Boston Bruins. Their goal differential is only four more. So theoretically, if this team were to have a win percentage, you know, I'm gonna can I pull out my fancy stats thing here for a second, or am I not allowed to do that? Go for it. You may. All right. So the little Pythagorean theorem of baseball kind of applies with goals scored as well and goals given up. So it's the number of goals squared over goals squared 
plus goals against squared in the denominator. And that will give you a win percentage based on how a team should have done. So their win percentage right now should have been right around 5'11". And if they played, what was it, 71 games? Uh, yeah, I think they played 71. They should have been 36 and 35 based on their performance as a team. So is that team lucky? Is that team good? Again, just throwing something out there, a little bit fancy stats. I don't, the exponent kind of fluctuates based on the year, but the squared number is usually the one that's kind of consistent throughout. I don't know. I, I'm going to go out and say it. I think Dallas is a fraud. And they're going to be exposed in this playoffs. First round exit. You heard it here first. <laughs> well, uh, stealing the uh, hot take specialist uh, baton. I know, from, it's uh, not the alcohol talk and just pointing it out. <laughs> I See, I'm going to go ahead and redact that being a hot take because I agree with that. I feel like that's something that it, it reminds me of in baseball, a similar Dallas team of, uh, or really Texas, Dallas area team, the uh, Texas Rangers of 2016. They were the number one seed uh, for the AL and they had home field advantage, but they won so many games by like one run games. And I think they set a record for most one run games won in a season. And they went into the postseason, got completely obliterated because you can't just rely on, out to trying to like, um, yeah, you can't just rely on winning close games the way that the stars have now that they just really bank on because look at like point wise, their best score was Tyler Sagan with 50 points. After that, huge drop to Jamie Benn, 39 points in 69 games. Like, now this, this team, it does not look constructed at all. I mean, they're lucky that they have Anton Kadobin putting up, uh, 9.30 save percentage, and Ben Bishop, 9.20. Like, this is just, no. This is this is completely, no. I, whoever faces them is really going to, like, they're going to have to really change gears for whoever faces them because odds are they're going to face one of the teams that will be, I mean, it has, like, a really great scorer that can just solve their defense quickly. And... They're, or they're going to face someone that's a really good goaltender that will just shut them down, and they'll have, like have to score more than two goals a game. That's going to really shaft them. No, you're 100% right. And just want to clarify something real quick. It was 69 games played, so they should have been 35 and 34 on the year. But one thing that you mentioned is the volatility of a, kind of, of a team, pretty much. And again, it kind of relates to baseball. Bullpens are the most volatile types of, I guess things in the entire sport it is impossible to be able to predict a bullpen because they fluctuate throughout years for example andy you're a yankees fan you had the greatest closer in baseball history i mean arguably trevor hoffman might be the a close second but with mariano and that bullpen year in and year out the yankees bullpen went from 2010 to 06 to 2010 they ranged from 29th as a bullpen to first as a bullpen they had a stop at 10th and i think 17th as well in there so regardless of who you have it's kind of hard to be able to predict and goaltending is the exact same way you never know how the volatility volatility of a goaltender is going to be you have your consistent goaltenders yes 
But to be able to have a tandem that's going to be able to carry you, consistency only gets you so far because it's a team sport. Baseball is the same way. Hockey's the exact same way. The goalie can do everything in his power. He could have a 930, but if he's facing, how many shots would would give up in a 930? That's, what, three goals out of 50 shots? You might lose that game three to two, right? Yeah. 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 And again, that's just back of the envelope calculations. I'm pretty sure that I'm a little off on the 930 right there, but... Regardless, it's like you said, like it goes to OT, you are really burning them out. And that's the other thing also, not only volatility, like you said, I definitely agree with that, but also like endurance, how long you can go, because if you burn it out, what's the point in having a really great bullpen or a really great goaltending when you burn them out? Like you're not supposed to have to bank on that so much. You're supposed to be able to have like a complete team, not just have to keep relying on that when in turn, eventually it's going to get it's going to like, yeah, it's just going to burn out at some point. One other, one other factor that I mentioned, uh, Denis Gurianov is their lone 20 goal scorer. Jamie Ben and Rope Hintz uh, are both at 19 below. Are they really lone 20 goal scorers? Just one 20 goal scorer. Jeez. And this is a top four team in the league? In the well, conference. Top four at West. Well, the West was not yeah. good this year. Let's, let's, let's not forget that. You know, it's like if they were actually able to pop in a few more goals, we'd be talking about them in St. Louis being one and two and battling yeah, for a potential rematch once again. And actually I mean, making my original prediction of them making the Stanley like a final not look so not look as foolish as now. Well, the other thing also, like you said, uh, they that between them and uh, St. Louis for a while, it was them, the abs in St. Louis were the top three in their in the West and it looked like they were three of the top in their division, but then they completely fell off around uh, February. It just, it's insane. That is a uh, wild stuff on those round Robin shenanigans. So we now we move from, one yes. Quick thing before we move on, just had to look it up. Cause to me, you guys have known me for a while back when in 2015, when Tampa was making their run and even 2016 as well. I said Ben Bishop was a big goalie, not a good goalie. That Vasilevsky was going to be a top five goaltender in the league because of how quick he was. You could tell by his positioning. And looking at the stats, I was saying, how can this team be that good when they have Ben Bishop in there? And again, he's had a pretty good year. 928 percentage is not definitely something to not fret about. But Kadobin has kind of carried him a little bit with a 930. 2.22 goals against average. So the back end is definitely helping him out. Ben Bishop's at a 250. So one thing that I should mention, we always talk about you need a back end with a good goalie, and especially a hot goalie. Could this be it? I mean, I'm not... Again, I still think they're a first-round exit, but is this the kind of back end that we're looking for? They're not going to have the scoring to be able to get through the first round, in my opinion, at least. They're going to lose games 2-1. to one. But if you're stopping 29 out of 31 shots, your goalies are doing their job. 31 shots, a little bit high. But if your team can't score, you're not going to move on. I mean, but if they have the scoring, could this team make a turnaround next year? Just just food for thought. I don't know if that's a good discussion for now or later, but they totally could. Yeah. Yeah. Off of that uh, round-robin uh, nonsense, uh, we now dive into our qualifying round matchups, 
and we will uh, begin our race with the fifth seeded Oilers against the uh, 12th seeded Blackhawks. Tell you, uh, this matchup, it uh, appears to be a uh, matchup of he- sort of heavyweight first liners versus uh, some uh, inexperienced or not so uh, highly regarded depth, which in, with uh, a series that can could easily go the other way if if crazy things happen. Yeah, I completely agree. This one, I thought, like, when I first saw the um, matchups being announced, I was like, okay, this is actually looking like on paper it's going to be really fun, just off the fact that you have elite players from last uh, decade that were drafted last decade that now have, we've seen them, how their careers have panned out, Kane and uh, Taves and all of them, they really look like, a fun team on their own and they're playing against elite players that from this decade it's basically like that spider-man meme where he will one's pointing at the other because of the fact that both sides have great talents have like talents that could be hall of fame someday um both sides have incredible um like scoring potential but at the same time both sides terrible depth like it's comical how much they're lifted by their star players because it does not look at all like either side is going to be able to make a deep run based off the fact that other teams are going to be exposing their depth, but they have the talent to at least like make some really major headway. So it's kind of funny how they match up against each other, and it'd be really fun to watch Kane against uh, McDavid and Taves against Dreisaitl. Like it, it's going to be like much watch TV basically. If there's any like uh, matchup to get casual fans into the sport or like people that are interested in hockey but never really watched it that deep into it, this would be the one that would say like watch it. It's probably gonna be high scoring affairs and it's gonna be freaking awesome. Yeah, I second that entirely. Um, so Andy's probably gonna hate me for this a little bit, but the odds are out for him. Figure I'll share them and convert them into percentages because then we could talk about win percentages rather than necessarily odds. But the Oilers are coming in at minus 160, which means that Vegas has given them roughly a 61.5% chance of winning. When you take out the juice, it's about 60%. Do you think out of 10 games, if they played 10 games, would Edmonton win six out of those 10? Maybe. After trade deadline, yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, but right. also the other thing. Given the state of this team, does this team win 60% of the time against the Blackhawks? Yeah, I'd say so. I'd believe it. I mean, if you're that confident, then you might want to lay a little bit of money down on them. Not going to say that I'm going to, but I won't. Go ahead. <laughs> but just want to throw it out there that that's kind of what's out there, and it drives for a good discussion because when we're talking about this, that means that Edmonton themselves are basically going to have to win in five, is what basically what Vegas is saying. Tony, you both make fabulous points with how the uh, their outlook is and basically what to expect from them and how it's, you know, if one, uh, if one, if one heavyweight uh, outplays the other heavyweight, it could be the difference in the series. So, moving down the list, uh, the next matchup is the six-seeded National Predators against the uh, 11-seed Arizona Coyotes. Uh, this is a uh, very nice shirt Andy has on there. And 
Smash Up seems to have a lot of a has includes some inconsistent goaltending, some youngsters creating their first elimination series experience. Um, can the and particularly for their markets of which they represent too, uh, can sort of represent a uh, good viewership the way uh, their mat the way their matchup did in 2012. Exactly. Yeah, this is definitely a rematch of 2012. Um, obviously, the last time uh, Arizona made the playoffs, then Phoenix. Um, but on the other side, Nashville, as we've seen them go in a completely different direction, they retooled and went on a uh, hot streak. Um, the last since 2015, they like really ramped up, and yeah, it, it's basically one of those things that Nashville this year they've been up and down. They've been like winning games barely by the skin of their teeth. Sometimes, I mean. Obviously, like, there was that game that um, I think Mikhail Granlund basically tied for them and won for them with, like, a second left. Like, it's just, yeah, they, this team boggles my mind how they're able to make these runs. But I would honestly have to take experience in this point over the uh, Arizona Coyotes. As much as I want to see Arizona go on a deep run, it, it yeah, I just, I don't know, it's something that, like, they've had so much go wrong for them the last couple of months and, and it's not even like that the front office has haven't given them the players to do it because they traded for taylor hall and when you have hall kessel keller step on and all sorts of other like solid pieces you'd think that that team would be able to do something but if it weren't for the fact that the play-in has expanded to 2014 they would miss the playoffs when they trade away their first round pick to get a solid player like it's it just, I don't know. The team did not make much sense, but I got to run with the um, national prayers in this, and especially Phil Forsberg, who I'm casually repping just to throw in the face of certain uh, Caps fans who saw oh, him get built for... Is that, is that an ERAT jersey? Uh, you know what? It might just be an ERAT jersey, although I think he got traded in that deal. I wonder where he went, though. No, no. It appears to come from a very odd flex from a fan from a fan base whose uh, team has won cup since the uh, bombing of Pearl Harbor. It's uh, rather intriguing, but I do appreciate the comedy. He says like he doesn't have one cup in that same time frame too. Oh yeah, uh, even though we uh, came into the league, was it thirty three years, thirty four years after your second to last one? So. Stuff. Montreal decided to say, hey, come to us and we'll give you millions of dollars of riches just because, you know, I digress. I digress. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. I Sorry, I thought you didn't make your points yet. Oh, no, okay. you're good. Oh, um, yeah. Wait, my point on Arizona? Yeah. No, uh, Arizona, National Arizona. Arizona. Do you oh, touch you're other? Right. Oh, you're right. <laughs> God, you and your drinking. I'm over too. He is off the rails. <laughs> I am bamboozled right now. <laughs> I've been hoodwinked, bamboozled, led astray, run amok, and flat out deceived. We've been smeckledorfed. That's not even a word. Not even a word. I agree with you. Um, say what you want. I think Arizona gives Nashville a run for their money. I still think Nashville wins in five. Give me a game five overtime between these two teams. Um, I agree. Arizona, Arizona needs it. Uh, whether people kind of want to admit it or not, I think that a nice long series would 
help with the fan base and hopefully they can get in. I would like to see them get in. Don't think it happens for the reasons that you were talking about. It's they just don't have that scoring, even though they traded for Taylor Hall. Um, and normally I would say that they should just lose out and get the number one overall pick, but I mean, he's not really possible with their first round pick traded away. But even looking at their numbers, with Nick Schmaltz leading the way, Clayton Keller leading the way afterwards, college hockey guys just pointing it out there, their top scorers are all young. They're all under 25, I think. I Double check that. Yes, all guys are under 25. Phil Kessel rounds it out um, for the top five. So the, it's not that the team doesn't have a future. They definitely have the talent to do it. They have Taylor Hall in his prime that they need to figure out a way of to either keep him or get something out of him because they clearly didn't get much out of him so far. Uh, 27 and 35. Again, not knocking him. Good numbers, just, you know, not great. So I don't think this team has the capacity to be able to make a deep run, but I would definitely love to see it and give teams a run for their money. And who knows, maybe ND legend Jordan Gross comes out and they have their offensive-minded defenseman do what he's got to do and pull that back end out and make him more explosive. It ain't impossible, you know. Next on our list, we have the... uh... Young up-and-coming Vancouver Canucks against the uh, Minnesota Wild. A matchup that seems to uh, intrigue my eye as a uh, relatively experienced uh, Wild crew versus a uh, new and uh, young and upcoming uh, Vancouver team with uh, several young offensive talents that can uh, really uh, use their speed to the advantage. Yeah, this, um, mm-hmm. I'm going to be honest, I'm really taking Vancouver early because of the fact that I do not trust the Wild at all. Um, we've seen that from them, like, basically since 2013, that they're not a serious team, and I refuse to take them serious until they do something about the fact that they've invested so much money in their contracts and they're getting nothing for them. Like, they have made, they've made it past the second round once, no, they haven't. They haven't made it past the second round at all um, since they first started in uh, like 2003. Yeah, but, yeah. Like they haven't done anything with this core past the second round, and yeah, they've run into obviously like buzzsaw teams such as um, Chicago and St. Louis and Nashville and all of them, but or Winnipeg really, I think it was instead of Nashville yeah. for one year. But yeah, they've yeah they've run into good teams in the past, but that doesn't excuse the fact that like they've been this way for almost a decade now, and no change at all, and they've only made it past the second round. They haven't made it past the second round. Like I I can't take them seriously. Sorry, but I just can't. I can't take them seriously. Let's just say that they started off not very very hot, like at all. And looking at their little trend uh, of when they were either under or over 500, they have been steadily increasing. And little by little, they've been winning more games than they've lost. So it's not that the team wasn't starting to be on an upward trend and playing over 500 hockey before the season stopped. It's can they continue and consistently play at that level when the season restarts? If so... I think this team makes a run. I'm going to contradict Andy on this one. 
I couldn't tell you specifically why. Numbers wise, it's not a hundred percent there. It's just more of a gut feeling. I don't think this team is going to be a huge scoring team. I don't think that this team is going to find a way to, I mean, dummy teams or really be able to bully teams into wins. But who's to say that they couldn't go out and just find a way to win? This is more than just a second-round team right now. They have the talent to be more than a second-round team. Andy, would you agree with that? Well, yeah, but they've had the talent to be more than a second-round team for years. When you sign Prez and Suter to those contracts and then get nothing in return for it, like it just seems so weird, the fact that yeah, they haven't done anything with it. I they mean, ran into the dynasty that was the Chicago Blackhawks. They ran into a hot goaltender in Corey Crawford. Yeah, but all those other but the Blues found a way Chicago, to the best get past them. Four in hockey from 2010 to 2016, before Seabrook decided to lose his legs and Duncan Keith somewhat fell off the map. I mean, yeah, but I mean, eventually teams were able to get past them. It's like it's just something that how do you consistently year in and year out? Yeah, they ran into to the. Blackhawks three years in a row. But then after that, 2016, it was completely different. They lo- they lost to the uh, Lindy Ruff coach stars. Like, oof. So how do you feel about a team that scores three goals a game? They're averaging over three goals a game right now. The way that I was taught is two's good, one's better, zero's the best when giving up goals. You give up three, most likely you're going to win games. The problem is right now they're back end and they're goaltending. They have an 897 save percentage as a team. That goaltending gets fixed. Why couldn't this team make a run? Well, wait a second. That also, you have to think about, they gave up Jason Zucker at the deadline. And granted, they got Galchenyuk back, but that's a bit of a drop. Like, they were sellers at the deadline also. I mean, is it a drop, or is Galchenyuk just still trying to find his way around Minnesota? Because, again, like Pacioretty, he left Montreal, has to transition a little, and then he found his game. Montreal's a hard place to play. Same with Toronto. Both of those places are hard places to play. Galchenyuk comes out, and yeah, he's got a half point a game, but why couldn't he all of a sudden break out on the scene now that he's more used to the environment that he's in? Again, it's tough to be able to go to a new team, fit into a new system. Why couldn't he do that? I don't think it's really a downgrade. 25 years old, and how old was Zucker? 27, 28. So they traded a guy roughly in his prime for a guy who is roughly going a little bit better honestly i could see them like it's one of those things i just i don't know i i want to see him do well on the fans on the uh, fact that it gives zuccarello like in the playoffs he's going to really perform stall has revived his career there but i mean and also they have like kevin fiala and um spurgeon and all them but at the same time i just i don't know i feel like they're still committed to rebuilding and on the other side on the other side you gotta think they're playing a team that has potentially two calder trophy winners so it's something that you have to think like are they really going to be able to be up to a task against a really young team granted this could be i mean this is a this is in the same situation as um edmonton versus chicago where it's going to be like absolute gong show this will be very much like I feel like it'll be a lot of scoring, but at the same time, it's going to take more than just the uh, high-profile players. I feel like it's going to be depth on both sides that really make the difference. And It's tough to basically look at this team and say, wait a second, do they really have it? I can kind of see where you're coming from there. I mean, Ian, I haven't heard your side of it yet, so I'll still want to let you chime in. 
Well, I'm a big believer in uh, Vancouver's uh, young guns uh, really using their speed to sort of take advantage of a slightly uh, older wild squad to their advantage. And I was totally on board with Andy from this point out. This, you know, if, if I saw this series end early, it would, no disrespect to wild fans, but it wouldn't surprise me. And that's, that's just merely my two cents. So... Last but not least on our uh, matchups in the qualifying round, we have the uh, ex-Atlanta teams in the Flame and the uh, I mean Calgary Flames versus the Winnipeg Jets. It's a couple. You have in Calgary, you have some youngsters who are looking to make amends for their playoff failures in the prior year, and the Jets with their high-flying offense can they sort of take advantage of a maybe let's say not super strong. Uh, opposing goaltending tandem yeah this team uh, or this uh, matchup is yeah this matchup is actually pretty uh interesting on the fact that winnipeg it looked like i mean this time or really at the end of season last year people thought up oh, they're trending downward they're trading away truba they don't know what's going on with buffalo and everything like that but now they've actually been able to rebound quite nicely and put themselves in a pretty good position this year at least I mean, obviously, they have uh, Hellebuck, who's just been completely, insanely good as in goaltend, um, in that they've had some really solid uh, skate, like their forwards have really produced. And we haven't even seen Patrick Laine get to his, uh, basically, his final form, so to speak, because of the fact that he could easily turn it on and it would be just absolutely like gong show it's something that i could definitely see the uh, winnipeg jets pull away with it on the other hand calgary they gotta feel some sort of pressure coming on that in the past couple of years like they have not been that great playoff wise and last year if it weren't for um obviously the sweep in uh, columbus if it weren't for tampa being absolutely um blasted this team, everyone would have been looking at them at the fact that they got knocked out in the first round in five games as the number one seed out West. Like, yeah, this, um, they definitely got to make some moves in Calgary because of the fact that if they don't do anything this year in the playoffs, a lot of pieces are going to have to be uh, moved around. And they have the pieces to do, so, like, to make these moves or at least, like, to go on a deep run. It's just a matter of being able to do something with them. To kind of touch upon that as well, one number that I've kind of fixated on is their penalty minute differential. You know that they're fourth worst in the league, having 90 more penalty minutes than any other team? For and nope. against? The only teams that trail them are Florida, Philly, and Colorado. Interestingly enough, on top of all that, they also are being outshot on the year by 93 shots. But the team right now has a plus 12 goal differential. So take with that what you will. I don't know if it's luck or not. I'd have to run deeper into the numbers than just baseline. Here's what's out there. But on the surface, it looks like this team's just scoring at a higher rate. Their back end isn't doing as well. I mean, 93 shots against compared to like other teams. I'm not 100. Let me quickly resort this. Out of all the teams that are out there, they're 21st out of 31. Edmonton and Vancouver are the only two 
teams out in the West that have a worse shot differential as of right now. So I don't know if that's an attribute to Hellebuck. I don't know what that means. Again, these are just baseline numbers, but the numbers kind of tell a story. Can this team be able to, I guess, find their way and make a deep run? Or is this team just going too full? This is, again, goes back to the volatility argument, Andy. I don't, I really don't know what to think of this Winnipeg team. And heading on to Calgary, they're not that much like behind them. Their goal differential on the year is minus 10, though. So is it an attribute to more goaltending? But their penalty minutes are also 23 minutes above. So it's this is one of those series I don't know where to go. Vegas has it at minus 120 and even. It's basically saying that these teams are roughly the exact same. And taking away juice, they're basically saying that the team who's whoever is is in the minus the favorite, they're saying Calgary has roughly a 53-ish percent chance of winning the series, which I can agree with. It could go either way, but again, there's too much volatility there. You don't know how these teams are going to play, especially off of a break. So I guess indirectly, I'm pleading the fifth on this one. I don't know who to pick, but if you put a gun to my head, we've talked about how goaltending wins series, especially early on. I would have to say Hellebuck finds a way to win it. I mean, is there anything else that I could really say to it? Yeah, the only stat that like I keep coming back to like mentally is the fact that Winnipeg only made the playoffs a couple times. It took them until 2018 to win their first playoff game. And I think they won, um, if I'm not mistaken, they won 10 that year because they made it to the uh, Western Conference Finals. Nine. Nine or 10. Okay, nine. nine. It was nine. Knocked out in game five. But yeah, they won nine games that year. And um, the Calgary Flames in the entire 2010s only won six playoff games. So, I mean, take it as you will, but experience kind of leans towards um, Winnipeg's side. Now, obviously, like, experience kind of goes out the door when you're playing a best-of-five series, and it, no one's ever experienced that. But, I mean, at least not in the NHL. AHL, the first round, yeah, you experience that. But, yeah, for the NHL, you, like, this is something that hasn't been done before. But at the same time, you got to think, all right, well – it's a playoff, and between these two teams, I feel like I I, I got to roll with, like, it, it's going to go five, and I feel like narrowly, I just, I think I have to give it to Winnipeg. It would not surprise me if Calgary gets it together and goes on a run, because they've been made me to break out for so long, but I just, something inside me just tells me, like, it's not their year yet to break out. But there's no such thing as being due. That's That's the big thing. There's no such thing as being. Oh, yeah. So that's why I'm, I, I just, I really don't, I don't know. It's going to be fun to watch. I'll give you that. Right. Yeah, but definitely. Could it be like a, like one of those shit shows where you just can't turn away? Yeah. It really could be like, I mean, as fun as like the other ones are, like, I mean, on paper, this one, it feels like on paper, it's going to be really weird, but in like a fun sort of way, so to speak. I would uh, personally uh, take Connor Hellebuck over Cam Talbot in uh, any playoff series uh, nine times out of ten. And 
probably uh, Winnipeg's don't first line over Calgary's first line that often as well. Don't tell the Hank haters that one. Yeah, would you take <laughs> Cam Talbot over Henrik Lundqvist in 2015? <laughs> Imagine doing that. That's tough. Don't tell them. Shush, shush, shush. Well, that does it for our uh, whole playoff previews and a uh, couple other notes of which to uh, touch upon. Uh, University of Alabama Huntsville hockey was uh, saved while we were, since we had since we had last recorded. Uh, they had generate they got enough money from uh, donors to uh, keep their program going. We had touched up upon in uh, one of our previous episodes on the importance of a program like them in a small school and particular, especially in the South as well for growing the game and grabbing it and sort of reaching out to a uh, different brand for new sense of fans to get involved. So we are uh, very excited to see them back. Uh, Reed Cashman was also hired by Dartmouth as their next head coach. So maybe, uh, maybe I won't cringe so much at the, at my team's uh, power play formations with their uh, slingshots, whatnot, although those might still continue, but Regardless, it's PM uh... is going to be on the uptick. I can, I can feel it. I mean, the ECAC is still a powerhouse, mm-hmm. somewhat ish, if you want to call it a powerhouse. Just trying to give them some sort of props here. But in all seriousness, I'm very very happy that UAH hockey is coming back. Um, good to see two teams kind of south of quote unquote the Mason Dixon at this point, and hopefully more teams can really start to come around. Like Arizona State has really started to be on the uprise. Um, you got guys transferring to Arizona State, too. Um, I think it was one of the Doogie brothers from Wisconsin ended up going down there. So yeah. um, who knows? Maybe this could be something big. And I would love to see more um, Sunbelt hockey. And hopefully the WCHA, like we talked about in the previous episode, can get some more teams and be able to survive. And the Alaska teams can still continue to play. Yeah, particularly for those uh, Pac-12 teams as well. <laughs> Yeah, it was ironic that we were just talking about Cam Talbot, and now we go to his alma mater. But, yeah, it's definitely uh, will be awesome to see um, them proceed and especially get more uh, fans down in the Sun Belt because of the fact that, like we said before, Huntsville was super on uh, on the backs of this team. And to be able to save them, that's that's great news, you know. And, and that's the other thing, like, as I was saying earlier in the show, you got to look at sometimes, you got to look at the bright side, the fact that, the fans were able to just jump right in and help take care of this team. And it's just, yeah, it's awesome to watch. It's awesome to see. You know, it's also awesome to see is uh, your life lesson of this week, Andrew. All right. So uh, for this life lesson, um, folks, if I've taught you anything, it's this. If you go for a swim and you had uh, put on sunscreen before and you go in, you get out of the pool or get out of the beach and you're uh, still like never apply your sunscreen, apply it, reapply it. Because if you don't, then you'll wind up burning and your friends will make fun of you and it'll not be a fun time. Wise that words was- for uh, this summer. Yeah, that was, yeah. So that, that wound up being a nice old crispy weekend. Mm-hmm. Got to see Andy medium well. Medium well, you sure about that? Well, then again, there was enough red in there to be rare, but yeah, that well, yeah, there's enough pink in the middle. Were you pressed against it? Were you forced to wear the uh shirt you were wearing? No, it was just um, 
I think. I think I had to actually drive back on Sunday with like my back in a toasty manner that I had like my AC cranked and it was just not a fun time. The nice like three hour drive back from the beach to home and yeah. Sometime, man. Sometime. <laughs> still well, worth it though to be able well, to get away still, for a while. Well, still a couple months left in the summer to learn that for those who uh, enjoy the beach in the proper manner. <laughs> exactly. Those of you who learn my lesson, apply sunscreen and reapply it. Because otherwise, you look like a doofus. And don't get COVID while you're at it. <laughs> this is also true. Amen. <laughs> well, folks, I think that is going to uh, wrap it up for today's episode. Uh, we hope you've uh, been staying safe these uh, past couple months and times. And we... Uh, Hope to see you again next week. Have a great one. See you guys.